0: Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Know when I roll that I flow with words. Top of the line, yeah, I'm so reserved. And I'm dropping a rhyme onto all these nerds. Different when I spit it, so prolific when I hit it. Clip the segment, rip it, share it global in an instant present when I gift it up in heaven with the mystics and your knowledge insufficient, so you better just admit it. Danger, straight from the manger. Dirty when I'm flirting with the words I endanger. Range across the beat so you all better tune in. Crypto on the street with the guy Victor in. Who's in, who's not? Flying on the beat like how it's used. In shot. yo, and I'm lightning when I zap, blow the fuse. And pop, can't defuse this rock, sheer infuse, it's hot. Never dealt the drive, cause until the day I die, I'll be bringing it alive, raining better than the sky. Dripping wet, don't you ever wonder why? See me gripping, never tripping on the truth that underlies. And I'm not like other guys, we're not like other teams. Something we believe is that freedom can achieve everything we dream, never callously claimed, always heady when we're ready, start up galaxy brains. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, Head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. As I mentioned, Victor Boonen, Head of Protocol Specialists at Coinbase, is our guest. We'll get into it about infrastructure, Bitcoin lightning integration, crypto's value prom- pr- uh, proposition, and it's a great interview. And of course, we'll check in with our good friend, Bim BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to discuss markets, big day, Fed day today. We'll get into it. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer, recommendation, or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Man, I'm breezing, dude. I'm going quick. I'm feeling this beat, Phineas. Uh, we have an awesome episode, truly. We're going to get into some really great stuff with Victor. He's been working in crypto infrastructure since at least 2019. Um, and, you know, Coinbase is a big player in this. So I'm really excited uh, to share our conversation with you. It was a good one. And uh, But let's get into it with BIMNet and start the show. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, thanks for coming on Galaxy Brains. Thanks for having me. So Fed Day, did uh, but they declined to hike. Uh, so it's a flat. It's a skip. Unchanged. Uh, yes. But what? But what did they say?
1: Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, they kept rates um, as is, um, and they increased their uh, forecast for where um, interest rates are likely to be at the end of 2024. even higher for longer? Correct. (laughs) Yes. Even higher. So they reiterated the message of higher for longer. Via their tools of of forward guidance, which is you know encapsulated by by the dot plot, yeah, it went from a dot a median dot of about 4.6 in 2024, yeah, uh, at the end of 24 yeah. to uh, about 5.1, so decent, so, so decent, and it surprised the market um, in a meaningful way, yeah, and I think that was by intention, um, and I think what the Fed is basically trying to assess is you know the. The last leg of inflation is is really tough to beat. And if market expectations get too ahead of themselves, it would actually be counter cyclical or counterfactual to to what they're trying to do. So they're perpetually in the stance of like, we need to make sure that the market's surprised, they believe us, our credibility is high. Um, And so you even saw during the um, press conference, you know, Powell kind of reiterate, you know, that kind of messaging. Um, I will, however, caveat that. You know, Powell said "unknown" so many different times. You know, during you, know, you the, mean the, the word "unknown." The word "unknown." I mean, there are just so many variables with respect to to energy prices. Um, like the world of post COVID is very different th- than pre COVID supply chains, etc. Yeah. How how you know the labor market is structured. You know, the fiscal stimulus. There's so many uh, unknowns, and it's it's such a dynamic like economy that. Uh, it's really uh, tough for them to even believe in their forecasts, and that was the other thing um, that the Fed, ha- you know, sort of made a, a point on today. Um, they increased their expectations for, for growth mm. in twenty three and twenty four and twenty five. Wow. Uh, while you know, I think their unemployment stuff, you know, kind of stayed the same, around four percent unemployment for twenty four, four point one percent for you know twenty five. Yep. Um, but their core PCE uh, estimates like, you know, moved lower.
0: Which is their inflation target. Which was their
1: inflation target. And so they're telling you that they're going to get to their inflation target without really harming employment that much in the forecasts. Yeah. And that they're going to be higher for longer. And so that was like the data that, you know, was given to the market. Which is a soft landing scenario, right? Soft landing-ish. Yeah. yeah, No, absolutely. Um, But again, you just realize that he's just stuck in such a tricky situation. Uh, Personally... I have found more confidence in some of the more dovish elements of the data that I've been seeing recently. And just, you know, from anecdotal bits of evidence, I do think things are slowing and that this could ultimately kind of be, you know, the last sort of big hawkish surprise or not big, but moderately hawkish surprise um, from the Fed uh, in a while. And I think that's you know, kind of supported by the price action that you've seen in the market. So if you look at two-year yields, you know, they they sold off and got to 515. But if you look at something like the five-year yield or the seven-year yield or the 10-year yield, it was basically unchanged on Mm -hmm. the day, Mm -hmm. Uh, give or take a couple basis points, don't know where we are right now. But, you know, S&P, you know, last I checked, we were down 50 basis points on the day.
0: And more and not more, too big a deal. Bitcoin not, is down one percent, right, or something like that. Yeah, it's down one percent. We're in the high twenty sixes, though. It's, yeah, feels it, like it's mostly the same. Mostly the same. Yeah. And so, like, with the current
1: state of you know where interest rate expectations are, and the amount of money in the system, and like growth that's projected, and like what we know now, like the Fed didn't really rock the boat. Yeah. Per se, and it's really tough for them to rock the boat, because we know that they're data dependent. Yeah. And we have high frequency data points right
0: and so you're you're, you're primarily seeing the same data they're seeing. primarily yes yes. right
1: and so it's a matter of like is your reaction function that you think of the feds reaction function the same as the one that they have so the
0: surprise was the higher dot plot at the end Mm -hmm. of next year which but you know that's relatively small of a surprise in the scheme of things it wasn't a surprise hike or a surprise cut or anything like that it wasn't like dramatic or a huge shift in language. Yeah, it, Langu- was, it
1: was it was a lack lang- of an additional cut or yeah yeah
0: a skip. Um it's interesting they do they are in that rock and hard place but
1: and a hard place. This That's isn't the Super Bowl. It.
0: We said Big Day Fed Day, but you know this is more like a wild card game or something at this point. Yeah, it's not like the fireworks don't even, we. Were I feel seeing. like
1: we were insulting wild. Card it's games. not. I know <laughs> it's not like
0: the fireworks we were seeing earlier in the year. Yeah, I. Um, it's
1: just quite quite telling. I mean, it just shows you where we are in the cycle. Just chugging You're along closer here. to the end rather than the beginning, and there's less surprises from the monetary policy side of things, and there are probably more surprises that are going to come from the like actual hard data and economic data series. Other
0: thing to bring up here um, that could affect all markets is a looming potential government shutdown. I think next week's episode will be right up on when the date actually hits. I think it's basically October 1st. Um, So we'll know more next week as to the lot. But it seems increasingly likely that the U.S. government will fail to be funded on time and will close. I think the last time it was closed for 35 days Uh, that it did close um so it could be an impact right i mean that on the country in the scheme of things
1: i mean uh, totally totally possible i think it's just it's just uh you know it's more likely than not to happen it appears um but in terms of like the impact like again it's tough those federal employees they're still gonna get paid uh, it's just, just a, like a matter of when. Yeah. And mm. like the federal contractors, et cetera, like, yeah, like, you know, you're not going to get paid now, but government will reopen. What about
0: like certain services? Is there not like no, downstream? The, uh,
1: no, uh, certain services will definitely. I mean, the Fed was actually talking about it today in terms of they might not get certain data series for. If like the,
0: the Department of Labor is closed correct. or something. Bureau of right. Labor Statistics or whatever. Or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, And so they'll just have to like so make decisions without, you know, that those those bits of data. But again, the high-frequency stuff is so good these days that it's like, you know, do we really need, like, the Bureau of Labor Statistics to calculate a number that they've been doing the same right, way I mean, for just, 40 just years. Just
0: anecdotally, you watching it, how often does like BLS data have like it's dramatic difference though and, But or uh, dramatic yeah. difference though from the other day? Like when you get official unemployment versus like the payroll data or whatever, like yeah. it, it's usually relatively in line, no, right? It, it,
1: it tells the same story. Yeah, you, like typically. Like, it would be pretty rare general. to see them
0: like diverge yeah. dramatically, right? Well, where, yeah.
1: where we really had the biggest diversion was, you know, like, you know, I would say a year to 18 months ago when like, People saw rents going up like 12, 15%. And
0: CPI. And
1: the the CPI number was like stock at like six or something, or seven or eight uh, annualized. And it's like, on what planet? Uh, was that data like? you know. Where did that data come from? Like, that's just not real.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and like, you can see it on the street easy data. The, so there can be part, some
0: like... di- some there can be some divergence. But yes, yeah, yeah, so, so not a huge impact even on data. Although maybe one. Um, and you're saying I don't know, just generally not like a giant market event. If we have a, it's really just to how long it's closed for, right? That yeah, matters, I think yeah. that's
1: kind of you know the 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 biggest implication. This would,
0: uh, I would assume. I mean, I think the first time the U.S. was ever downgraded was by S&P during a shutdown. Um, what in like 2011 or something like then? Uh, I forget the exact. I think it was after the um, after the Great Financial Crisis. But and Fitch just downgraded the U.S. over the summer. Um, yeah, for and so flow dysfunction. They, and if so, this would only give further credence to that dysfunction. Yeah,
1: I mean, haven't. essentially, like all Congress. I mean, I don't mean this to be offensive, but essentially, they just show up and they spend money we don't have.
0: Right. That's what they've been doing for a long time.
1: really long time. Yeah. And it's based on the premise that the U.S. can just print money endlessly.
0: And our debt is over $30 trillion now, I believe. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, it's an issue. Like, it's not an issue. It might not be an issue for five years. It might not be an issue for 10 It's almost years, guaranteed to be an issue. But it will be such at a big issue at down, some point. That, down the line um, that it's just irresponsible um, yeah. what we're doing. Uh, at the same time, you know, you could have folks counter being like, well, if you think it's that serious, then maybe it's serious enough to shut down the government and force people to the table. It's this is what's and happening I, I, here, yeah. and I respect that thought. But given the nature of the discourse that we have and how polarized, yeah. you know, the 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 two parties are in the nation. It's just tough to get to like right. a pragmatic solution,
0: right? And or this, to even like the shutdown, agree on the
1: facts to debate.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the issue. You're right. No, it's and, it's, and it's so a precarious it becomes, political situation. I agree. A exactly. Very Which is why the,
1: the downgrade, you know, like there's is probably justified. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think we're all witnessing how divided the country is. Yeah. And a house divided against itself really cannot stand. So like I hope just broadly something gives way in this political dynamic. I think everyone yeah, hopes I, something. I,
1: I personally, I doesn't
0: mean, mean we don't care about each so- yeah. group's don't have their own issues they care about and advocate for. But like the, the solution can't be. Just turn off the government, like right? I yeah, mean, exactly. I, I, to your point, I I understand how they get to that like that play in the game, but like the let's hope we can look. The first time I think it ever happened was basically like only ten years ago. This is not something that's normal in American history, but it's become normalized now, and that's a sign of how dysfunctional it is. Um, well, look, we'll have more info on that next week. I think as we get closer to the potential shutdown, so we'll we'll talk more about it then. We're
1: on shutdown
0: watch. Um, B- Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, my friend. Thanks for joining Galaxy Brands. Pleasure. Let's go now to our guest Victor Boonen from Coinbase. Thank you, Victor, for coming on Galaxy Brains.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: So, um, what do you do at Coinbase? I, I know I, we've talked before about the, the role protocol specialist. Yeah, um, is that what you do? And separately, let's explain what protocol specialist is as a concept. Because I remember we were you were very pro, you were promoting the concept of this being an important role in crypto.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, protocol specialist is like. By far the most fun job in the world, um, and it's and it's created to be that way, and so maybe I'll, I'll share a little bit because I know you you know you want to ask about bison trials later yeah. on as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'll kind of give you the backstory for it. Um, so when I first applied to bison trials, it was like, you know, peak bear market, uh, twenty nineteen, and they had a position open called operations manager, and it just said if you like crypto and you want crypto to be successful, come work here. And I was <laughs> like, great, that's me. <laughs> yep. Uh, but when I ca- came to talk to them, and you know, I had a good first conversation, and then for the second conversation, uh, I was like, you know what, There's I'm kind of seeing what they need because of their work on protocols and because of my background working on protocols and incentive models and all that. And so I wrote out basically what I thought my job description should be. Uh, so when I came to talk to Joe and Aaron, the two co-founders yeah. uh, who are amazing, um, They were like, okay, we have a couple of things we want you to do. And I was like, great. I have a list as well. Mine's written down. So you tell me what you think, and I'll tell you where we align. And so they listed four things. I'm like, yep, got all those four. Here's the fifth thing. They said, yep, you should do that too. And I said, great, that's my job description. And it was only after I started that they were like, hey, we need to put a title in the onboarding paperwork. Yeah, Uh, And that's how we came up with Protocol Specialist. Um, And the TLDR of the role is that our job is to... Research and understand all the upcoming uh, and live protocols, uh, oracles, bridges, you know, anything with an incentive model, um, and then operationalize those insights to drive product strategy, roadmap, legal, content, marketing, yep. you know, features, all, all that kinds of stuff. Um, and so it's a role that sits within the product org, and, and I currently lead the protocol specialist uh, team within Coinbase as part of the product org. Um, We work on a lot of staking stuff. We help with bridging. We help with oracles and identity and all kinds of stuff, governance. Um, And the reason I say it's a really fun role is that about half of the role is really clearly defined in that, okay, like, you know, Ben, who's on my team, I'm like, okay, you own Ethereum, right? Mm. And so you know that you're responsible for, like, understanding all the upgrades and, like, seeing what's coming down the pipe. And, like, you know, right now people are talking about, um, you know, increasing the max effective balance of validators or, like... Capping how many validators can enter the that turn limit and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Churn yeah. Right, Christine
0: right. on our team wrote, published a great short report on that last week. So yeah, Chris- Christine's um, wonderful. Yeah.
2: Um, and so like you're responsible for knowing and doing and like working with the teams at Coinbase to like help them understand what's going on and, and plan for it and all that stuff. And so that's half the job. The other half the job is open ended, right? It's very entrepreneurial, in that there's a ton of opportunity out there, right? So like, which protocol should we be supporting, right? It's your job to go and figure that out and like make right. recommendations for us, right? Um, Or, for example, there's like optimizations that we can do on the infrastructure side, or there's like governance things that we can do. Or you can find other opportunities, for example, in MEV, right? Right. And so I worked super closely with the Flashbots team for a couple of years. Uh, You know, we run MevBoost, which is a Flashbots uh, software, um, you know, at Coinbase Cloud, uh, and then Coinbase Retail and Custodian Prime, like, you know, everybody everybody uses it. Uh, But it was really like our responsibility to not only figure that out, but also just make sure that you know, we're super comfortable with the way that, you know, things work, that we understand, you know, kind of all the edge cases that we communicate well to customers. Um, and if you consider the role, it's actually quite nice because there's nobody else that's really responsible for a lot of this stuff. Right. Um, like product managers, engineering managers, like they all have full-time jobs that they're already doing. Right. And so having something like a protocol specialist to supplement everybody else's work and, and take the charge of some of this stuff is really helpful.
0: It's really interesting. It's like the research and then operational glue um, because, like you said, I mean, an engineer, their job is to implement. We can't. We, they're busy. Right? Yeah. You never have too many um, engineers, right? They're always going to be busy. Um, I really like this. I think we, um, you know, at Galaxy with Galaxy Research, we do do a sim- play a similar role. Um, I would say with less replacing the operational implementation part of it with like public publishing. Yep. But like, it's again, there's it's nice that. Both of our companies know and recognize the first of all how novel and complicated the space can be. You, you actually really do need people whose job it is to like follow it, figure it out, yeah. make recommendations about how to do it. Um, so yeah, you mentioned Bison Trails. Let's let's talk about because this is how I knew of you first. And and um, this is a Bison Trails is an infrastructure company, um, that I was one of the first staking as a service type firms, right? Yeah. And, um, but was acquired by Coinbase, which is how you ended up at Coinbase, right? Because you were at Bison Trails and. Um, that was, you said, 2019. This was maybe at the very beginning of the concept of public blockchain infrastructure. I think there was really only Bitcoin mining then or Ethereum mining, right? There was um, there were some proof-of-stake networks, but it hadn't been institutionalized in a way that there was infrastructure providers. What was it like back then? And and by the way, I think we said Bison Trails did do Bitcoin mining yeah, um, and was early then in staking. And then that's how the whole staking of a service thing. But what was it like then? Compare it to today. Like, how how much more sophisticated is the infrastructure side of the public blockchain world now?
2: Yeah, you know, a it's a lot. But
0: you know, give me the Bison Trails then and now.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, back then um, there were a couple of companies that were around before us. But yeah. when Bison Trails came onto the scene, I mean, like we just totally dominated um, the way that we ran infrastructure, and, and even now, the way that we run infrastructure is the best in the entire industry Um, because we're entirely cloud-based, we're multi-cloud, multi-region, we use, you know, all the kind of, like, top technologies um, that you can, and so I think that, like, one of the interesting things is that um, right now there's a ton more infrastructure providers, and there's a ton more low-cost infrastructure providers, and so I think that, um, you know, there's still kind of, like, this ability to run things in a really, like, Institutional enterprise grade way, right? And that's something that we specialize in, and you know we do extremely well. Um, but it's been really interesting because I th- I kind of thought that there's going to be like this great um, kind of a like consolidation of infrastructure companies. I thought a lot of them were going to go out, out of business, and it's really going to be like kind of a few key players uh, left standing. Yeah. And it actually turned out to be the opposite. You know, there's so much opportunity in the space, and staking is growing so rapidly that you have like you know this kind of like wide stratum of uh, companies that are starting up in the space that do things in in, in different ways, um, and some of them been very successful, and it's been really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and there are. It is pretty big, and especially in the Ethereum ecosystem now, with um, since the transition, right? Obviously, since the merge, um, you also have these semi decentralized or even fully decentralized. Right? There's a pretty broad spectrum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I've been really Coinbase has been a, a, a pioneer here I would say on the on the more like well certainly on the centralized side but not just on with like you know the staking that you guys offer. Um, but also, even with this the the um, alluvial this this mm-hmm. thing, right? So even pushing the boundaries on like institutional staking concepts, right, and and innovating there has been been quite. Int- so it's come a long way though, right? Because it was Bison Trails and the couple others, right, like Block Damon and I forget who else was yeah. b- there that long ago, but not many. Yeah, um, we well, didn't really exist, right? I mean, there was even there wasn't even really a lot of proof of stake networks. Yeah, and now they're almost all yeah. proof of stake. Um, do you see? Uh, I don't know. How do you view the infrastructure landscape further evolving? Like, I mean, you know, what's the long-term future in your mind?
2: Yeah, um, and I guess I'll, I'll kind of talk about Alluvial a little bit, and I'll, sure. I'll give a quick disclosure. So, yeah, um, Alluvial is, was actually a team that kind of spun out of uh, Coinbase Cloud, and also combination with, with Figment. So they yeah. spun out to do their own thing. Um, you know, and so Coinbase Ventures is a you know is a large investor. Um, And disclosure, like I have my own kind of like side fund called Credibly Neutral, and I'm an investor in Louisville as well. So just giving that disclosure. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Appreciate Um, that. But yeah, I've been working with them for a long time. I helped them get started, you know, back when it was Coinbase. Um, And so I think that the kind of like big change that is is coming up that, that people are starting to kind of realize is that if you look at the shift in the crypto market, like originally we started off with... Hundred percent self custody, right? Like Satoshi mined the first block and he had the fifty bitcoin. Right, yeah, 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 it's in his wallet. hundred yeah. percent self custody, right? right? And over time, we're like moving more and more in the direction of you know institutional custody. Um, and so like you know me personally, like I've held you know my crypto for a long time. Yeah, I love using Coinbase for custody, right? I, lo- I love using Coinbase Prime. Um, and I think like more and more people are going to be moving in that direction, and so. I think that J.P. Morgan is going to enable staking. I think Fidelity is going to enable staking. Right. I think like all these guys are going to you know be in the space, and so the question becomes, how do you actually service that market? Um, and that's where I think Alluvial uh, plays a big role in the liquid staking market. Um, and you know, economists are you know huge fans of them. Yeah, um, that makes
0: sense. I mean, I...
2: yeah, and, ju- and, ju- and just touch on there is b- it's because like, you know, Lido is an incredible, incredible uh, team, and they have a great product. And Asith is awesome, right? I have a huge fan, a huge fan of their team. Um, but having said that, Alluvial is really uh, focused on it's like, okay, if you assume that JP Morgan is going to come online, right, what are the options available to them and how do you enable them to participate in an open standard rather than, you know, implementing proprietary solutions? Right. And
0: and and a product that, you know, like to your point, no no comment necessarily on like why wouldn't they use Lido or Coinbase or whatever, but like they, there's a, it's a new market segment and they may have bespoke needs, right? Like, and they do. I think, I think we all know that the inter- the needs whether it's for infrastructure or even wallet technology custody whatever are very different if you're, um, you know, a retail user, uh, family office, or then a giant institution like they, there's there's a it's a big ecosystem, yeah. Um, and I think there that makes a lot of sense. There's room for um, players that service on each like level of that, um, yeah. Ecosystem. Um, do you think that that's a good question? By the way, I think Citibank just announced that they are do- they made Citicoin, basically, which is very similar, the way I understand the announcement, this public announcement, um, similar to what JPM has has and had been doing for years with JPM coin, right? Um, do you think that how long, it this, put it this way, not with either of them in particular, but how long before we finally get what you said about them participating in the open standard versus, I think, both of those examples, as far as I understand it, City and JP are still like you know permission private DLT type solution. How long until they connect to the open internet of value. Or not how long, you know, what are the barriers in your mind? Like, are we heading there? Right, does crypto become financial infrastructure for TradFi?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, th- maybe th- maybe this is a hot take to some, but a very cold take to others. Sure. Um, I don't think permission blockchains are a real thing. Right. Like, I, ju- I just, I-, I-, I don't think that they uh, are inherently useful. Um, you know, we've had, kind of like shared databases for a long time, right? This isn't a new thing. And so when I kind of look at it, I'm just like, um, I think it's a good stepping stone, but I think that there is no future where uh, permission blockchains are the thing that wins or even the thing that gets used by like, you know, institutions sharing things. And, And, you know, we have a lot of data on this. We have 10 years of data of like people trying to do this and it just not really going anywhere. Um, and this is one area where I give a lot of credit to EY, where I actually used to work as a consultant back when I, uh, as I was mm-hmm. getting into crypto. Uh, but, you know, Paul Brody and team, they looked at the permission space, and this was a lot of work there. And they were like, you know what? Uh, public blockchains are the future. And they went all in on Ethereum. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen with a lot of these uh, institutions, right? Like, to get your toes wet, you have to be like, hey, we're gonna do this safe permission thing that we know and love and da 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 But then you do it and you're like, okay, that's not really meeting our objectives we're not able to get the network effects we're not able to get like all the folks that we'd like to use to actually use it um and so you end up having to switch to public blockchains by default over time and so i think it's a good first step and i think you yeah. know they're on the way
0: i love that you said that i i was a director of blockchain research at fidelity where we also tried a lot of you know,
2: and there were so enterprise many. blockchain there, use cases and some some of these you know organizations had like hundreds of members. I like, remember there was a time,
0: of... I believe, when State Street apparently, I think, was employing like 50 Hyperledger engineers or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> I yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. This is years ago, but um, this is like 2018. I, I love that you said that. I don't I think to me the value of a public of blockchain is to allow and enable parties that don't know each other or in some cases can't know each other or even in additional cases might know each other and be enemies to still achieve final settlement in a disintermediated way. And right, if we know each other, if we're business partners or you're a vendor to me or whatever, we have a legal contract, we can fall back on that. Why not just use a a SQL database or something like that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I also think that um, the permissioned aspects of what they're looking for can oftentimes be built out on public chains, right? Good point also. Like you can whitelist things, right? right? Uh, And so you can gate access pretty aggressively. The things that are hard to do is to get things like privacy uh, in terms of your data or who you're transacting with or whatever, whatever, right? right? Even though it's pseudonymous, um, there's a bunch of solutions that are being built in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and so my wife Lisa um, is CEO at Aztec, which is a privacy layer too. And so I'm hoping that like a lot of these things will start kind of like pushing the boundaries of of what is possible uh, on chain. Um, so that these institutions feel much more comfortable using public blockchains and you know permissioning some of the components of what they're doing, right. but also leveraging privacy for some other components of what they're doing. I think
0: that open technology standard, standard being as in widely adopted, agreed upon format that, that the public blockchain offers is very powerful. Right? Yeah. Um, I think the hope for some of those big corps that we mentioned maybe that are doing a per- more permissioned. Uh, we'll call it experiments, as far as I understand it today, is that at some point they make a, at least make a bridge. I can see a world where you have the private internal thing; it's still built on the same standard, so it's easily compatible, and then you just can bridge in and out, right? If you want to move stuff around inside your big bank, sure, you can. You don't have to use the public chain. Why do it? It's costly, right? But if I want to withdraw my stocks or treasuries or dollars or whatever it is or coins, right? Like, then there's a bridge, basically some kind of bridge. What do you think about that?
2: I don't, I don't believe in that. Yeah. No, just just because that would up. be like
0: an internet internet version of the world, but you don't like a hub and spoke. You, you yeah, just you don't you don't think that's necessary. I just or, don't think it's useful? necessary.
2: Yeah, like I think that at the end of the day, I think that all of finance will move on chain, just straight up, yeah. right? And I think there will be you know off chain computation. There will be a lot of this stuff, but when you really think about it, like is there a good reason for why um, you know equity ownership isn't like like, known, like, who, you know, like, which addresses have, have what or whatever, whatever, uh, or which accounts have what. And it's like, you look at the current system of how things are built, and you realize it's all kind of an accident, you know? Like, you know, the reason you have kind of, like, all equities being, you know, kind of held by, by one company that's yeah, tracking DT- everything. Yeah, the DTCC, yeah. Right, 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 Um is just kind of a fluke. Like they just had all these papers, and they're like, "Hey, all these paper equities are wild. We should really do something about this." It really right? is
0: true. I've told the story before. They called the paperwork crisis. Actually, yeah. they were literally like dropping certificates in the mud and stuff. They were like, "You know what? Let's give them all to one party." Yeah, that's it. It rose out of necessity. It wasn't designed. Sort yeah, of proactively.
2: Yeah, and so and so, I don't take for granted that like things can be a different way, you know, and um, because of that, when I kind of look at you know the design space. I try to learn from what was done before, but I'm also not like, this is the correct answer. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I think that's a, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I think if we d- redesign the system from scratch, what would be the optimal way to design it, right? And you think the public blockchain is a clear, clear use case here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's a that's a big topic and really interesting point of view. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Let's move on because we have have a couple other questions I want to ask about Um, one that I want to talk about. and We'll get right into it now. And uh, I have other stuff, too. Let's talk about the Lightning Network. You uh, were on Twitter. Um, You were deputized on Twitter by, I believe, Brian Armstrong at one point saying we are going to look into it and Victor is going to lead that effort. And then. You documented a little bit, right? You, I remember there was a selfie with Elizabeth Stark of Lightning Labs there, and later anyway, you guys have now announced Coinbase had announced on Twitter that they they you will be moving forward to integrate the Lightning Network at Coinbase, which is Bitcoin's fast, cheap layer two for right. It's a state channel network. It's bi directional payment channel. But just for our audience, we, I think we've talked about it a fair amount on this show. So, um, what was that? I think based on your description of being a protocol specialist, this makes this fits right in that role, right? Of both learning about, then helping operationalize or theorizing and performing research on whether to operationalize what benefits are. Anyway, you went on this journey. Tell us about this journey, um, and and also why 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 did you look into it, and what did you find? Let's t- t- talk about why Coinbase is um, integrating Bitcoin's Lightning Network.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a
0: lot, big big giant yeah. Lightning Network pile of question for you.
2: Uh, a lot of stuff. And so um, I think one thing that people don't know is that I've actually been involved with Lightning Network for a long time. Um, so I worked with Elizabeth Stark uh, and Lightning Lab Team some other folks to actually organize the first Lightning Summit back in 2019 uh, in Berlin. And so, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I haven't said as close since then, but like, you know, I've, I've been around um, and it's wild to think that, that was four years ago, so, so, uh, soon to be five. Right, And so... I'll try to answer all the bits that you asked. Let's so just I think, start.
0: Why, let me help you out here. Why, why then is was Coinbase interested in looking into it?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think a couple of reasons. I think the first thing is that you know we've been looking at it for for a long time. Um, you know, and Brian tweeted about it, and obviously you know there's there's folks internally that have been looking at it. Right. Um, and so this is the Bitcoin scaling solution. Um, and so there was never a question of, like, will we ever support... Like, it was never, like, we're never going to support this. Right, thing, right, you right. Know, not, not that kind sure. of stuff. Um, but, it, you know, it was really... When you look at something like Lightning, um, you have to consider kind of, like, the adoption. You have to consider the volume. You have to consider the usage and the requests and, and you know, the technology itself and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think that for many years, Lightning has been quite challenging, right, to, to use, to run... Um, you know, the non-custodial experience is still like, severely lacking relative to the custodial experience. Um, and so you know, when you look at that kind of stuff, um, there's, there's a couple of factors. I think the first factor is just that you, know, you want the technology to kind of come along to a place where you feel a lot better about it. Um, and you know, kudos to uh, you know, Lightning Labs team and all the other kind of like clients and, and core devs um, for getting it to where it is today. I think there's definitely still a lot of room for improvement, yeah. but you yeah. know, kudos to where they where they got it. I think the second bit is around uh, continued adoption, and so you know, having you know a lot of the major exchanges add support for it, having Binance add support for it, having folks throughout the industry start using it more and more, and start kind of like sharing some of the metrics around uh, growing continued usage, growing uh, TVL, growing mm-hmm. volume. Um, some of these things are not as easy to kind of suss out, but once you, totally. you know, start asking questions, you you get some some good estimates. Um, and the last bit is, um, you know, Lightning is aligned with Coinbase, right? Or, or rather, Coinbase is aligned with Lightning. Maybe it's a better way to put it. And uh, Coinbase is unequivocally, unequivocally uh, pro-Bitcoin. Coinbase is onboarding more Bitcoiners than anybody else in the world by far. Um, and we've been pro-Bitcoin for a long time. And so helping uh, Bitcoin get to one second, one cent uh, transactions um, it's something that's really important, right? right? And, it's, and it's aligned with with what we want to do. It's aligned with economic freedom, um, and it's aligned with the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. That makes a lot of
0: sense. And and so you went on this journey. I saw you talk about Lightning Labs, and but you you you, talk, you had a tweet uh, when a couple really only about a week ago, probably where you uh, where Brian said you guys were going to integrate it. And then you had listed a whole bunch of people that you talked to yeah. uh, and, um, just some that I'm recalling and I apologize if I'm leaving some people out, but like for example, Alex Leishman at river, right? They, they have a big lightning node and, um, and of course, Elizabeth labs, um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth start labs. Yeah. Tim <laughs> Apple. Exactly. Um, so what did you find about the state of it? Because so many have, there are a lot of it. I mean, Binance has it, a bunch of exchange have it. Um, the team cash app has lightning right River I mentioned is, has a good lightning experience like what is the potential use then is it is it is it similar I mean I, is it deposits and withdrawals for coinbase users if I choose to use lightning is that is that where, what you guys are thinking is a first step here
2: yeah 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 I, and I think that's that's kind of what we shared around um, you know the deposit withdraw uh, flow I think that when you think about what you know what are the most important things to consider um, there's there's a whole bunch of ways in which you can use Lightning, right? Like you can use it for remittances, you can use it for payments, you can use it for, you know, merchant adoption, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, true. And in the long term, like if you think that Bitcoin is gonna be, you know, a money for the world, then like all these use cases are gonna be the right use cases, right? Right. Right. And so when we look at, uh, you know, Coinbase, and why we decided to go with like retail support first, Um, it's just, you know, you have to think about how do you prioritize? Of like, what's the highest value add, right? And I think being able to deposit and withdraw uh, on the Lightning Network is something that's going to be a huge unlock. Yeah. Because um, I think like onboarding flows generally, people sometimes forget how important it is and how much of an un- unlock it is. Uh, you know, and Coinbase has I don't know where our latest numbers like hundred million plus right. users or you know, whatever whatever it yeah. is right. There's a lot of folks. Yeah. That's a, that's a big number. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it matters
0: too, like you said, for on ramping and off, particularly for things that are like L twos. Like I, I always like, sure. I mean, I could buy Bitcoin on Coinbase, then I could send it to my node, and I could open a Lightning channel with it, right? But that's a lot of steps. It's very hard. Sometimes I just want to go right from like buying with dollars to having on Lightning, and those those the custodial bridge there is very effective.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And All if right. you and if you really think about it, right, like. In the long term, right, if we're looking at like 10 years out, there's a really good chance users will never touch all ones. I agree. Yeah. Right. Let's and so, talk
0: Let's talk about that too, because yeah. I, I totally, I think that's a lot of people think that's true for the Ethereum ecosystem as well, which is experiencing, Coinbase was calling it on chain summer. I've been calling it L2 season, right? It's yeah. like um, partly because of the advancements in roll-up technology and, and, but even Lightning, I think to your point, it's 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 clearly reached a threshold where it's interesting and, Ca- and you're capable of onboarding it from a technology standpoint, right? So even in the Bitcoin – and there's a lot of talk in Bitcoin too about roll-ups. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole debate about drive chains. It's a whole – another type of merge mine thing that – but like again, right, the, the L2 – let's talk about the L2 world. I mean do you think that L1 – how many L1s do we need then for final settlement, right? I mean if, if we're really just transacting and computing off-chain and then in some L2 environment and then you know committing on-chain and having that be where final settlement occurs – Um, What's your L1, L2 vision for that future that you started to mention?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things I think will be true in the long run. I think that one thing is we have to remember, like, why are we here? Right. Like, we're here to create money. Right. Like, like fundamentally, at the end of the day, like we are making new and different monies to the things that are in existence today. Right. Like, and that's the innovation behind Bitcoin. Like I ask people, you know, what did Satoshi invent? right and people th- say oh it's, oh it's hashing or it's proof of work or it's you know like, nakamoto consensus or like all this other stuff and the reality is what he invented is a token right just straight up he invented the incentive model and so he's not going to get some comp sci award he's going to get the economics you know prize and you know the no- yep. Nobel prize right for economics um, if it ever comes to that, <laughs> which I think it will. It but should.
0: I think it should. It's, it's actually incredible. I agree, though. You're saying primarily a creation of new type of money is the yeah. real innovation here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so when I look at L1s, um, the thing that I always think about is, is your token money? And if it's not money, then I don't think you're really playing the right game. Like, that is something that you have to be competing on. And there's some people that are of the belief that there will be many, many monies. And I certainly think it's possible, right? There will be many tokens, there will be many currencies, sure. but I also think it's going to be an incredible, you know, kind of like power law there where, right. um, if your L one is not competing to be a really strong money, and that's a very hard thing to do, and there's a lot of stuff behind that, um, then it's very difficult for me to see kind of like what that relevance is, yeah. right? And so I think that's, that's the first thing. You have to be competing to be money. The second thing is, and maybe this is a, a question for you. So let's say crypto reaches full adoption whatever that means to you yep right what do you think will be the transactions per second the like TPS uh,
0: of, of the l ones uh, or no, just of in the crypto world?
2: crypto a lot I've, yes <laughs> a I have lot what's extremely your, high number <laughs> what's your I don't number? know I mean
0: how many transactions are happening today in all commerce probably you know a million per second maybe I don't I don't know actually I have no idea 500 thousand per second in okay. the world maybe it's 10 million per second I really okay. don't know okay and so maybe so it's a billion Right. That, well, so I really have no that? idea. Those are that's a giant order of magnitude discrepancy. I have. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll say. I'll say ten million per second.
2: Okay. I think it'll be a billion per second.
0: Okay. Fair. So, and I'm, what am I forgetting to When I think all the online instant and all the inter vendor and company payments and bank, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it'll be, um, you know, a lot of IoT stuff.
0: Does that also mean that baked into your number is that you also think the speed of commerce is going to increase?
2: Oh, tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also if you make the assumption that. You know, all of finance, all of identity, all of, you know, a whole bunch of other use cases yeah. are going to be on chain. Yeah. We're like, if you have a loan, right, you have a mortgage, you're going to be updating that thing all the time, right? You're going to have money be streaming all the time, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're going to be able to do. Right. Um, you know, once the the cost of payments and transactions and updating kind of goes down really significantly. And so when I think about it that way, I also struggle with L1s that are just L1s because I'm kind of like, okay, if you want to get to a billion TPS, I don't care how your blockchain is designed. You're not gonna hit a billion TPS on a monolithic blockchain, and so you have to be planning for uh, a modular future. And and you know and we can do kind of debate on like how soon will that modular totally. future arrive. Yeah. Um, but I also think that you know even if you think it's not ha- gonna happen this year or next year, which is obviously right. Um, these things take a long time to actually build out. Yeah. Right. And it's very very hard. And you know Ethereum's been talking about L2s for a long time. They're just now kind of you know, starting to get there, but even now the technology is like not fully ready, right, right. right? Bitcoin's lightning has been around for a long time. Again, still not fully ready. These things are very hard to build. And so if you think that that's where the world is gonna be heading, if you think it's gonna be a billion TPS, then you have to be planning for a modular world. Yeah. And so when I take these two components of you want the token to be money and you also wanna do this like modular thing that that you know, is looking at a billion TPS. Um, I think it's just, there will be multiple L1s like for sure. But I think those are both very difficult things to kind of go after, and so I think it's gonna kind of whittle the field. Right. And so the other I think L ones that'll exist that will be um, essentially work token models, right? They'll be providing some particular service. And so when you look at something like Celestia, mm-hmm. um, you know they're they're doing data availability, right? right? It's an L one, but it's like providing a thing that people consume.
0: Right. You can't actually transact, right? There's no there's no s- uh, that there's no um, compu- computation there, right? It's just, yeah, it's not a general purpose right. thing, right. right? Right, and do you think there'll be, because um, I, when learning about modularity, this what we now call modularity, which is more about disaggregating the features of a blockchain, I think, mm-hmm. but I, I still just put an L, L, the concept of layered scaling as modularity, it's just that this layer, you know, uh, uh, an Arbitrum might have all, might have, you know, actually relies on ETH for DA, but it does computation settlement and transactions. Uh, there. Right. So th- really, the whole concept of layered scaling is modularity. Right. Yeah. We so, just so got some more, people will disagree. The lazy ledger I'm on your paper, <laughs> though, I think I, I think so. And I, and I just think the lazy ledger original paper was just like, wait a sec, we can even be more uh, granular in how we think about layers. Right. We can separate the layers inside. We don't not everything has to be just a, a clone of the L1 but that rolls up to it. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, Big Corners, too, have been talking about layered scaling for forever. And Lightning is a decent example, right? You have off-chain computation, but you have no data availability. You have no data availability that yeah. uses on L1 for, for data. Anyway, we could get into that. But um, I think it's a powerful concept. And I, I agree. You don't – so maybe the Solana crowd oh. thinks that you can scale all the way. Um, but even they've started looking into sort of layered concepts. I agree. It's a, It's a far cry from – fifty or hundred thousand TPS to a billion.
2: Yeah. Although I, I will say that, you know, if they can do, you know, fifty thousand TPS and I don't know what the latest know, yeah, numbers yeah. are, um, that's enough for all of crypto right yeah. now. Yeah. Right? That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um and I, you know, I give the Solana team a lot of credit. Like they are taking a differentiated approach, and you know, I'm huge fans of uh, of their team. And I know like Raj and Tony and Austin. Well, I was going to well. say Austin
0: used to work with you guys at Bison Trails, right? Wasn't uh, he a Bison Trails guy? That's right. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah he was.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I agree. This is what I think. To be honest, when when I have when we do this layer one future kind of discussion, um, it's one of the only one of the reasons why Solana is one of the only ones that I find particularly interesting. It's because it truly, it's you know, it's not an EVM clone, right? It's like got a whole separate. And I find that technological differenti- differentiation to be very notable and interesting, and it is quite of a different approach.
2: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. that's one of the reasons why uh, I give the Solana ecosystem so much credit. It's that not only did they have a differentiator approach, right? But they really stuck to it and they built, right. you know, a following around that and a belief system around that. Um, and I do. Uh, disagree with kind of like the monolithic approach i mean uh, you know as and, you and, said yeah yeah and, 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 and i I'm kind of kinda, do
0: also i mean as uh, i don't think it i think eventually they'll have to fall back into a modular approach as well but yeah they're pushing the boundaries though on yeah 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 yeah. This, yeah
2: yeah and and you know and, and i think that um and i've said this to rajan Raj totally and in the team um i think that the approach that they're taking clearly does have legs you know and if their scalability is like super high and they have Fire Dancer coming, which will, you know, another so client. client. Yeah, hopefully that'll you know push uh, scalability even higher. Um, and you kind of like push out the need for modularity and that can be an, an advantage in its own right because if you let Ethereum and you let Bitcoin and you let like all these other folks yeah. go and like experiment and see what works and what doesn't work and then you wait it out and then you're like, okay, I'm just gonna take the best pieces of what you've done and bring it over. Um, then that can be a really effective strategy as well. Yeah. So, you know, lots lots there to talk about.
0: Yeah, we could go on and on about this. Let's step back, sort of ending the end, uh, getting close to the end of this interview. I'm going to step back and um, you talked about protocol specialists being the best job in the world. In general, like, how do you feel about working? Again, as someone who's been in crypto for a while, how do you feel right now as someone who's working? How important is this technology to the world? I mean, do you feel, t- give us a sense of um, your, your sense of mission when it comes to working on this stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, back in, so I got into crypto in 2017. Yeah. And then in 2018, I uh, was already living with my then girlfriend, now wife, Lisa. And, you know, the market was doing terrible and everything was bad and down and sad. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bleak. <laughs> it, was, it was very bleak. <laughs> yeah. um, and she asked me, she's like, why are you so into crypto? And I remember sitting on the couch with her, and I was like, "I have no idea. Let me think about it. Yeah. I just never thought about it." And so I sat there, and I recalled a memory that I had completely forgotten about. So this was in in college. Uh, so we're we're immigrants. Uh, I went to Baruch, which is a city school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we got FAFSA, which is financial aid, to go there. And uh, I also got a scholarship. And during the time, I was also uh, working at this really. Terrible clothing store called Rainbow, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like this woman's clothing store, and uh, the most expensive item there was like twenty five dollars. Um, and I was, you know, during at the, at the time I was like working evenings. I was working like all weekend, and for my mom's birthday, I I wanted to go and I usually gave her money as as a gift. And so I remember after my shift ended at like ten o'clock, I went to the local uh, Chase branch. I went to the ATM and I wanted to withdraw three thousand dollars. Uh, to give to my mom. And the ATM was like, no, sorry, like, can't do it. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's weird. Like, I know the money is there. Uh, so I try again. They're Like, no, call this number. So I call the number. I call Chase. And I'm like, hey, like, I'm here. It's not giving me my money. And she says, uh, she said, your daily withdrawal limit is 2,000. I was like, okay, well, I am here. And I'm on a call with you. So just validate, you know, whatever you need to validate validate, and just give my, give my money. And she was like, no, your daily withdrawal limit is 2,000. And I remember just getting irrationally angry. I was so furious. I was like, "How dare they not give me my money? Like, it's my money. Like, what? Right? Y- you know? You know? Yeah." And I got, I was so pissed. Uh, and so I ended up withdrawing the two thousand. I came back then, and they took another thousand. Um, and I completely forgot about that memory until she asked me. And now, because I think that was the moment that my trust in institutions was broken. I was like, "Oh, they can just refuse to give it to me, and there is nothing that I can do about it." Um, and so. I think a lot about the Im- imbalance of power between individuals and the financial institutions, but also governments. And I look at a lot of stuff that's happening right now where I'm like, Hey, I think it'd be quite nice. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer in financial institutions. I'm a believer in government. Like I immigrated from Russia. I love paying taxes. Not that I love paying taxes, but like I'm happy to pay taxes, right? I pay a lot of taxes. Um, so something like that, but more like I would like for the imbalance of power to be more, uh, shifted in, in, the, in the direction of, in, of individuals. I would like for the institutions that govern us to feel a sense of responsibility for us rather than kind of like doing whatever they want, printing whatever they want, getting, getting away with whatever they want. Um, and so I think that's really important to me. And I think like as we're heading into this, you know, coming world of like continued advancements in technology, continued advancements in all kinds of crazy stuff and AI and blah, blah, blah. Um, you need for governments to be responsible um, to the people that they represent.
0: And you think crypto and public blockchains can be a force that helps push that forward?
2: Yeah, I think I think transparency is is a huge important force. I think the ability for people to self-custody, the ability for people to opt out and do their own thing is incredibly important. Um, and I think just the ability to opt out is actually one of the most powerful things. Cause like when there's that release valve, there is a like response to overreach. There's a response to, you know, undemocratic activity where people can opt out. And that mechanism, which currently doesn't exist because there's no way to opt out of existing systems, um, is the thing that keeps power in check.
0: This has been a great interview, Victor. Thank you so much for coming on Galaxy Brains. Um, for our audience, you can follow Victor on Twitter, Victor Boonen at Victor Boonin. Um is a good follow. And uh, I really appreciate you having you here. I think the perspective has been very interesting. I know a lot of people in our industry feel similarly on a lot of these issues. But again, Victor, thank you for coming on Galaxy
2: Brains. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to our guest, Victor Boonin from Coinbase and Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. Loved this episode. I hope you did, too. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email. Read our content at galaxy.com research and follow us on Twitter at GLXY research. See you next week.